This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. In some ways we'll move on, and in other ways we won't. Uh, sometimes I hear people sort of naively express the hope that one day these problems will be over, because we'll all look the same. We'll all have some kind of mixed look about us, and we'll all be the same, so our problems will end. I think that's preposterously naive. For one thing, we won't all be the same. And for another thing, I don't know that that's what we should be aiming for. I don't think that my goal in life is to hope that one day we should all look and walk and smell and act the same. We're different, and why should we all be the same? It's interesting that we're different. I think that the problem that our grandchildren face may be different from ours, but they too will be dealing with issues of massive social injustice. Injustice will never fade. We just have to try to challenge it in our own ways and in our own time and in our own backyard. What is the measure of our humanity? And can we move outside mere biological definition? Hello, how are you? And you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company. On tonight's show, Canadian novelist Lawrence Hill discusses the meaning of race, identity and blood in the 21st century. And what happens when you insult Turkishness? One of Turkey's most outspoken writers, Elif Shafak, describes what it's like being a writer on the edge of culture. This is a show about politics and polarisation, purity and race, storytelling, stereotypes, discrimination and interconnectivity. But first, the relationship between blood and identity. Canadian novelist Lawrence Hill talks me through his latest offering, Blood, a biography of the stuff of life. Lawrence Hill says, if we're not so wedded to the arcane notions of blood, we will be freer to celebrate our various complex and divergent identities relating to family and notions of talent and ability, citizenship and race. We will be more whole, self-accepting people and less judgmental of others. Lawrence Hill is one of Canada's most celebrated writers and thinkers. Born in 1957 to a black father and a white mother, American immigrants who moved to Canada, Lawrence's father later became a pioneer of the Canadian human rights movement. Lawrence has spent a lifetime writing about the meaning of race, identity, belonging and ancestry. Lawrence's books include The Book of Negroes, Seeking Salvation, A History of the Black Church in Canada, Dear Sir, I Intend to Burn Your Book, An Anatomy of Book Burning and a memoir called Berry Sweet Juice on Being Black and White in Canada, which was published in 2001. Well, Lawrence's latest book, Blood, a Biography of the Stuff of Life, is a thought-provoking examination of the scientific and social history of blood and makes one impressive case against the purity myth. I have to say, this is one fascinating, if not hugely unsettling, reads. Well, I got the opportunity to meet up with the lovely Lawrence at the Kurt International Festival of Literature. I asked Lawrence about his thoughts on the meaning of nationhood and citizenship. 
Well, the idea of a nation being a door that you can slam shut to allow people in or keep them out, I think is unrealistic and it's a far-fetched idea. Whether we like it or not, people will be moving around the world and you can declare that there's uh, Ireland and there's Canada and you can come or you can't come, but uh, there will be people on the move regardless. And uh, if we deny that fact, the fact of human migration, the fact of reaction to world tragedies that are happening not in our backyard but elsewhere, if we deny it, we won't be able to deal with emergencies as they crop up, nor will we be able to save lives, nor will we have meaningful policies in place to deal with the very real phenomenon of massive migration. And people have been trafficked throughout history. This is not a new problem to solve. This has been happening for years, whether you had the slave routes from West Africa, whether colonialism and the different experiences. It has always happened. The Romans trafficked people. Yes, well, slavery, of course, has existed uh, for just about as long as so-called civilization has existed. Uh, there's trafficking and there's voluntary migration. Obviously, in the case of the transatlantic slave trade, we're talking about trafficking. We're talking about involuntary migration, the, the selling of human beings as if they were cattle. In this case, it's more complex, as many people are migrating voluntarily. They're leaving desperate situations, trying to perhaps save their lives, certainly their lives. Livelihoods. I imagine that a portion of those who've been dying at sea might have been trafficked, but most appear to have been migrating voluntarily from what I've read. But you could say that they're forced due to the desperate situation that they're in, yes. their vulnerable situation, but they're making a choice to get on a boat. Yes. So it's that space where it's not clear cut. No, and it's very uh, condescending and self-serving to sort of mm-hmm. define people in a dismissive way as economic migrants. Mm-hmm. If you're saving your life and you're trying to get out of a situation where you're being crushed and your soul or your livelihood, your ability to take care of yourself or those you love uh, is being crushed, mm-hmm. then it's a little contemptuous to refer to that person mm-hmm. as, a, as an economic migrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's so complex. Um, on one hand, we, we, as human beings and as, as nations, we, ha- we have no moral right to allow people to die at sea. On the other hand, um, nations have policies with regard to immigration and uh, the acceptance of refugees and of immigrants. And and I guess there's a great deal of concern about facilitating even more migration by by, uh, accommodating in the humanitarian way that we should the lives of those who are at sea and the people who are at sea. We we must reach out to them and help them. But I know that nations are concerned that they're going to thereby open up the door to more migrants. And that's a real concern for Ireland. It's a real concern for Europe. It's a concern for Canada. And Canada has its own interesting history of migration and is a country of uh, multiple ethnicities. Well, Canada is a country of multiple ethnicities and migrations. It's a country that's made up of people from around the world, but we've had distinctly unequal patterns of accepting and rejecting migrants. We've been very hostile uh, over the course of Canadian history uh, many times to uh, migrants who were not white or who are not, say, uh, from Europe. Uh, And so we've shown very distinct and unequal patterns of acceptance. And so there's great inequality in the ways in which we've dealt with people coming to our country from around the world over the course of time. But you think that has changed now, or do you think Canada is still grappling with issues like race and identity and citizenship? I don't think it's changed what whatsoever. We're very profoundly still dealing with issues of race, identity, and citizenship, even in the way in which we deal with migrants. Uh, not too long ago, just a few years ago, there was a great uproar among some sectors in Canadian society, led really by our federal government, when some boats of Sri Lankan refugees arrived uh, in Canadian waters, and, and there was a great uproar about this, and much to do about whether there were potential terrorists coming from Sri Lanka and so mm-hmm. forth. But had these refugees been 
white coming from some terrible uh, socioeconomic up- upheaval in Europe, I'm quite sure they would not have met with the phenomenal amount of resistance with which they met coming to Canada from Sri Lanka. So, no, these issues are still very much front and center in Canadian life, and uh, uh, we have to deal with inequality too. And do you think Canadians are very knowledgeable about their historical past, whether it's to do with migration of people, whether it's to do with how it's treated its ethnic minorities? Well, some Canadians are highly knowledgeable and others are are happy to put their heads in the sands like ostriches. I I do think that we have a pattern of of happily pointing to the historical warts of our neighbours, you know, the Americans, or perhaps pointing to the regime of apartheid in South Africa, almost gleefully pointing out the terrible immoral practices on on the part of the former South African government, or pointing to slavery in the United States without being aware that slavery existed in Canada, the same injustices unfolded in our own country. It's very convenient to point to the moral warts of your neighbors. And there's nothing wrong with being aware of, of the problems that, have, uh, that other countries have faced. But when it leads to a, kind of a blindness in your own backyard, it certainly prevents you from moving forward as a nation, from uh, moving forward in an integrated, you know, an equal manner. Um, and it uh, you can't possibly deal with problems in your own backyard if you refuse to acknowledge them in the first place. But you think Canada is as stifled as America is in, in terms of race relations? Or do you think you're doing it somewhat better? It may not be as good as you want, but when you compare it to how things are in America, if you look at what happened in Ferguson, if you look at some different ghettos throughout America, they have big problems when it comes to race relations. Uh, they do, and so, so do we. Many young people have been killed by police officers in Canada too. It's not strictly an American mm-hmm. phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Over and over again, you know, black or First Nations communities in Canada have had people killed by police officers who were unarmed in similar situations to what we find in Ferguson uh, or New York or in Baltimore, for that matter. Oh, I, th- I think our problems are, are dealt with uh, less overtly mm-hmm. in Canada mm-hmm. than they are in the United States. The problems are severe in the States, but at least there's an openness to the way in which they're discussed. And there's there's a more vigorous publicity mm-hmm. around these issues. In Canada, they tend to be swept under the rug more, and we don't remember them. So if, if some black youth has been killed by a police officer on the streets of Toronto, 10 years later, we're all up in arms about what's happening in Ferguson without remembering mm-hmm. that these same issues face us you know, in our own cities. God, that's interesting. It's frightening also. Can I ask you about the Book of Negros? It's an historical document that you wove into a very interesting novel. Can you tell me about it? Well, history seems to belong to the victors. And uh, when the American rebels rose up to fight for their independence from from Britain, you know, in which the seven or eight year revolutionary wars from 1775 to 1783, eventually creating the United States of America, you know, England fought very hard, you know, to suppress that revolution. Revolution. And one of the tricks that the British uh, used